youth, you may be dismissed. We're excited about what we have in our chapter today. Not going to cover the, all of it. There's too much here to try to do that. It would, it would be negligent of me to try. If you're visiting with us this morning, we are currently studying through the book of Hebrews as we go through the New Testament verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, thoroughly enjoying ourselves as we do so, wanting to mine everything out of the book that we can in the time that we have to study it together. And we sure have learned a lot. We've got through one of the hardest parts, Hebrews 6, 7, 8, well, maybe it's like the whole book almost, 7, 8, 9, 10, those are the, the big boy chapters, and uh, we've made it, so now we get to look at something entirely different. Hebrews chapter 11, let's begin in verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he, uh, through it, he being dead still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken away, so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. He went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, and heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the preeminence of your word, and we thank you, Lord, that it is eternal, it's spirit, it's life. We thank you, Lord, that it'll outlive the heavens and the earth, and we are grateful that we get to have you build our lives upon the surety of it. We yield our hearts to you now as those that you can speak to, anything that you want to speak to us, Lord, and if there's anything you want to reveal to us, encourage us, exhort us, comfort us. Whatever it is you want to, to tell us this morning, we're open. We're, we're here uh, waiting to hear you, your voice and your spirit teach us. So we yield our hearts, we yield our, yield our lives, and we thank you that we get to study it together as a family as we explore your word. We recognize that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, not just some of it. So we want to study all of it, Lord. We thank you that we've been led this direction by your word and by examples. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. We are told in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, that we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. 
And that great cloud of witnesses about whom the writer speaks is talking about those found in chapter 11. As we've seen, this writer by the Holy Spirit is trying to encourage these Jewish believers to continue to believe. I mean, haven't we seen that all the way through the book? Continue to hold fast your confession. See to it, brethren, that none of you are found with an evil, unbelieving heart that departs from the living God. He said that in chapter 3. He's encouraging them to, to, to stay strong, to stand firm, to hold fast their confession. They're in the middle of a great, great trial right now. Persecution was ramping up. Things were getting more difficult. Things were getting very difficult. And they were looking to their old way of doing things, the old covenant, and they were looking at going back to that. It, it appeared as, as this clear view of something that would be easier. It wouldn't be easier. It would be disastrous. And the writer has been telling them that all the way through this book. And so we can forget that, you know, because we study this chapter sometimes apart from reading the whole rest, the first ten chapters, and we can, we can in our minds and in our hearts divorce the true context and the heart that God has for his people because we're just looking at one part of it without looking at the rest of the context. But the context is clearly holding fast, fast your confession, no matter how hard things get. So he starts in verse 1 by talking about faith. He says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We have physical senses where, where, where we can perceive physic, the physical realm, the things uh, that have to do with this three-dimensional world. But faith is kind of along those lines in the sense that it is our way that we perceive or we sense things or operate in another realm, that is the spirit realm, the spiritual realm, the things that um, we don't see. And so the spirit realm has its reasons or evidence for um, what is perceived or accounted for through the eyes of faith. And if we don't understand that, if we don't understand how God has set things up, then we will struggle functioning in that realm, in the spirit realm or in the spiritual um, realm, so to speak. And so I want to contrast a little bit the kingdom of this world versus the kingdom of God. Very different kingdoms. The kingdom of this world, or, or another way to say it is the kingdom of darkness, or you know, the, the, the ways of this world, however we want to describe it, is a kingdom. There is, we're told that, there, that Satan is the god of this world, small g, the god of this world. There is a kingdom. He has principalities. He has powers. He has delegated forces, demons, that do his bidding, that work against mankind. Sometimes it's helpful for us to see the big picture once again. Be reminded of the big picture. Now, Satan, of course, is not even close to being an even enemy or or someone that can equally be matched up against God, but there is two diametrically opposed kingdoms. And some words that describe the, the kingdom of this world versus the kingdom of God are these types of words. Temporal, visible, fallen, self dependent, works based. That describes the kingdom of this world. The kingdom of God, some words that describe that kingdom, entirely different kingdom, is eternal. Remember Jesus said those things that are temporal can be seen, but those things that are invisible cannot be seen. So the kingdom of God is eternal. It's invisible. It's not fallen. It's God-dependent. 
and it's faith-based. Those are two different kingdoms operating on two entirely different sets of rules going two entirely different directions. And so we need to know how to navigate the kingdom of God. And, it, and we navigate that through our perception, our spiritual perception, which occurs in the realm of faith or through the eyes of faith. This is important for us to know because the problem sometimes is that some believers, far too many believers, are living as if they're in only one kingdom. Or they are living in such a way to where they're trying to navigate the kingdom of God according to the rules of the kingdom of this world. They're trying to navigate the kingdom of God by sight. We love to walk by sight and call it living by faith. We think that we're these giants and heroes of the faith, but we walk by sight many times. What we can perceive, what we can understand, what we can uh, sense with our physical senses. That is not how God has intended for us to walk in the kingdom of God. It requires a whole different way of doing things. So that's the problem. And these Jewish believers were going the wrong direction. They were starting to make decisions about their faith and what the direction would be for their, their walk with God based on their physical things, right? The, the threat of persecution. That, that usually means physical harm. You have fear, which is an emotion that's dealing with or in the realm of threats and so forth. And so these Jewish believers are dealing with that. I also want you to know in verse 1 there that the word substance literally means in the Greek, it means what stands beneath. Or another word would be a synonym for that would be foundation. So you could say it this way, faith stands beneath or is the foundation for things hoped for. But the biblical term or definition for the word hope in the New Testament is an earnest expectation or a confident expectation. So faith stands beneath or is the foundation for things confidently expected. The evidence of things not yet seen. So my evidence is faith. Because God builds in me a testimony. He works in my life a certain way. He works in your life a certain way. We see the majesty of his word and how beautiful his word is. And we see the track record that he had with the people of God all the way through the history of of people here on, on earth. And we see that it's a perfect, flawless track record. So faith is all the evidence that we need because we have a track record. We, can, we know what he's done in and through our lives. But the question that these Jewish believers might have is you're, you know, you're, you're telling us to continue on in Christ. You're telling us to, to go in faith. But um, you know, what, does, what does that look like? Give me, give me some examples. Give us, give us something that we can know. And, and the writers just puts them, puts them back to their history. That This is nothing new. We've had examples of faith all through our Jewish history. I don't need to give you new examples. I just have to remind you of the examples that you've already experienced in your heritage. And so we need to look at what that looks like, what it looks like to walk in faith. You know, sometimes people refer to faith as just stepping out and doing something. And that can be true if you're responding to something that you've heard from God. Because faith, acting upon faith, is really hearing something that God has told you related to his word or just directly to your heart. You're responding to that in obedience and you're stepping out even though you don't see how he's going to fulfill his side of things. There's a difference between presumption and faith. 
Presumption is not hearing from God first and going forth and hoping that he gets behind what you're doing. You know, that's kind of leading the Lord around. He didn't, you know, he didn't say, I'm going to take up my cross daily and follow you. <laughs> you know, he said, you need to take up your cross daily and follow me. And when those disciples were called by the Lord Jesus, again, they didn't work out the whole specifics and say, okay, we need to know where you're going, how long we're going to be there, uh, what we're going to you know, go through. There was no negotiation. They knew that I had to follow this man. He's the, there's something about him that I just can't articulate, that I just know that he's the person I should follow. I'm going to do that, and, and God bless that. So faith is, is trust. There's a lot of bad definitions of faith out there. Faith is not a conductible force, as the faith teachers teach. And that faith is a force, and the words, where our words are containers of that force, and through the force of faith, I can create my own reality. That's not biblical. Faith is merely trust. That's what it is. And we never want to put faith in our faith, because your faith is only as good as the object in, in, in which it is placed. So if I, if I put my, my faith in a chair that was bought secondhand at a, at a garage sale and it's pretty old and I put my faith in that chair that's going to hold me up and, I, and I'm already exceeding the weight limit <laughs> of it, uh, I, I don't have a really solid faith. God calls a, a faith that isn't related to stepping out in action a dead faith. Faith without works is dead. If I know Christ, if I have a relationship with him, my life's going to look different. It's impossible for God, the Holy Spirit, to come inside a human life and not change that life. And so he comes in and he changes us, but he, he teaches us and he leads us and he speaks to us and he says, this is, what, this is what I want you to do. All the examples that we're going to see, they had a leading from God. It wasn't their own idea to step out and do any of the things that they did. God led them and told them to do it and they responded without seeing with their eyes what God was going to do on his end and not have the ultimate fulfillment of that spelled out for them. Now, he gives some physical examples of, of this invisible faith in verse 2 and beyond, and that's what we're going to get to, but he starts in verse 2 by saying, for by it, that is faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. Now, remember, put your mind, put yourself in the shoes of these Jewish believers. They, didn't, they weren't thinking Mormon missionaries that were 18 years old as elders. They call themselves elders like, who are, the, who are you the elder of? You know, five-year-olds? You know, it's like uh, these were true elders, true leaders in their history. All the way through the history of, of them, they knew exactly who these people were. And he's saying they obtained a good testimony by faith. It wasn't by faith in their faith. It was faith in God, that God was going to come through with his end if, and as they stepped out trusting him, he was going to come through with his end of it. And so he's, he, notice he says that these elders obtained a good testimony. He does, notice he doesn't say a perfect testimony. It's important. You look through, and we're going to see a little bit today, you look through this chapter, it's filled with imperfect people. And that gives my heart so much hope to know that God can use me significantly. I mean, we would never say that we belong in this chapter of faith. I hope you don't believe that, that you belong there like because you're so wonderful and you're so great. But God wants to encourage us that this isn't limited to just certain types of people or someone with a better pedigree. Usually he uses people who don't have a great pedigree. I mean, look how much humbling he had to, he had to take Paul through. 
because he was esteemed highly. You know, it doesn't say not any mighty are called. He says not many. It doesn't say not any. There are some that God calls that the world does look up to and respect, but God has to do a lot more humbling in their lives to get them to be usable. The biggest enemy that we have to being used is being impressed with ourselves. But I love the fact that he says they obtained a good testimony, not a perfect testimony. And so that only happens as we live a life trusting him. And it's a, a life worth living. Now, in citing these forthcoming examples of these different people that we're going to be looking at, what's interesting is he starts right from the beginning. He says in verse 3, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Now, I went over those words that describe the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. And invisible always goes with the kingdom of God. And seen, or things that are visible, always go with the kingdom of this world. Okay? That we just have to know the difference between those two. But, he's, but first of all, we need to see from this verse in verse 3 what he's not telling us. He's not telling us, as the faith teachers would try to t- tell you, that God used faith to create everything. He's not saying that. He's saying it's by faith that we understand and we perceive that the universe was created in the way that it was created. I remember we've had Pastor Garth here come and teach. And as a new Christian, you know, he was <laughs> uh, trying to disciple me and rein me in and uh, wasn't pretty at times. But I was dabbling in a little of this faith stuff, the faith doctrine stuff. And I argued with him after one of the services at the church I was in for probably 20 minutes trying to convince him that God used faith to create the world and the universe. He's like, no, it doesn't say it. And he's trying to use common sense, you know, in addition to his word, that what would God put his faith in? Who would he trust? Who would he have faith in to do it? He's almighty. He doesn't have to have faith in himself or use faith in, there's no one beyond him or greater than him. Of course, that didn't matter to me. I wasn't listening. I, you know, just arguing, wanting to be right at the sake, you know, at all costs. <laughs> to be right. Uh, but later on, I saw that it's by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. But notice he says that the things which are seen, that's the physical realm, were not made of things which are visible. God created everything out of nothing. And if we can get past the first verse or two of Genesis chapter one, we shouldn't have a problem with anything in the Bible. If God spoke and it happened, that's it. That, that's, that settles it. No miracle, no demon-possessed deliverance, no walking on water, no calming the storm, nothing. All that's easy when you create something out of nothing. And so he began with that. He said, all, from our understanding, that's, that's how we even understand how God started everything, is by the virtue of having faith in him. Now, beginning in verse 4, he's going to highlight this kind of hall of faith as we like to refer to it. He starts with Abel. He says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, still speaks. So Adam and Eve at this point, and then you'll see it in uh, Genesis chapter 3 and beginning of chapter 4, Cain and Abel. Cain um, uh, offered grain he was a, he, or offered the fruit of the, the land because he was like a farmer. And Abel offered you know, uh, one of the flocks because he was a rancher, so to speak. 
And so some people think, well, why was it accepted? Why was, and that's, you know, there's people that want to argue all this stuff. And, but my, my whole way of looking at it is not so much that it was a blood offering because it was from an animal, although I know that they knew about sacrifice because God had clothed them with skins once they realized that they were naked and they tried to hide and so forth. There was already a sacrifice for sin, but, I, but grain offerings were already were going to be offered uh, later in the law of Moses and so forth. And so um, not, not never for, for sin, really. It was, it was always a bull and, 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 you know, how he sacrificed those things before the priests and everything. But I think the issue is, and really, if, I don't know why it's so complex or so controversial. He tells us right there why. <laughs> the, why it was accepted. It was more accepted. And this is the reason why he brings it up is because Abel offered his uh, offering in faith. Cain never offered his, his offering in faith. Abel offered his, what he offered in faith. It, it, was, it was offered that way. It was demonstrated. It says, we're told in, the, in verse 4, that it was demonstrated that he obtained a, a righteous standing or that a witness that he was righteous. And also, it says that those at the end of verse 4, and through that sacrifice that God accepted, and likely it was that God consumed the offering, that's how, it, that, that's how it happened back then for the most part. I mean, it could have happened another way. He could have said, you know, spoken and said, yep, that's good. I like it. But likely it was just he consumed it and then that showed them which one he accepted and which one he didn't accept. But what's interesting at the end of verse 4 is that he says, and through it, that is Abel's sacrifice, he, was, he being dead still speaks. So his testimony of his faith and how he offered that to God and that sacrifice being pleasant to God still has an influence in our lives today. It still is a testimony of, of God and how worthy he is of our faith. And at the end of the chapter, chapter 11, he's going to talk about that these examples here, these cloud of witnesses, were actually provided for us. That they were provided for us as a testimony, as an example, and in part, that's when their ministries are completed when it does its work in our lives as our because it wasn't just for the for the witness of of these Jewish believers all through the history of God's people the, those that are in chapter 11 their ministry continues as God's people read read you know read these accounts and read how God honors that faith in him and he works that in, in, his, in, the peop, in the hearts of his people to encourage them to step out and be obedient to what he's calling them to do. So in that sense, yes, that, that still continues. And even though he is dead, he still speaks or his testimony still speaks. Faith pays off. You know, if you look at this chapter, and if you were to interview any of these people, we're going to get into some pretty crazy, you know, accounts and stories of people being mistreated. None of them today, if you were to interview them in heaven, if you ask them, was it worth it? None of them would say, no, it wasn't worth it. I wish I wouldn't have done that. I have, I have total regrets. It's a, the life of faith, the life of trusting in God is a wonderful life. And it's always worth it because you know that you're honoring him and you're doing the right thing. And then in the end, he's going to give us rewards for that, which blows our minds that he'd be willing to do that. But the question is related to Abel and our lives is, do our lives represent worship? And if our lives are representing worship, are they offered up in faith if that's what really matters to God 
It doesn't really matter that we're trusting him with our lives and what we hand over to him, both, you know, not just financially, but our time, our talent, our gifts, our, you know, because everything is his. We don't have time. We don't have money. We don't have gifts. They're all his. Everything belongs to him. And so that's why he says in Romans and in Galatians, and we saw last week in chapter 10, that the just shall live by faith. Faith in his son for salvation, of course, but our whole life from beginning to end, from faith to faith. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. It's all faith. That's how he has set it up. And that's how we're called to function within the context of the kingdom of God. He goes one step further, Romans chapter 14, where he says this in verse 23. For whatever is not from faith is sin. That's huge. So everything in my life that comes from my life as an expression of love and worship and obedience to him needs to be done in faith. Not faith in my, my own faith, but faith in him, trusting him that he's going to, you know, Paul talks about that when he says, I've committed to him that which he's entrusted to me or, or I've entrusted to him against that day. That What day is he talking about? When he's standing before the Lord Jesus at the Bema seat. When we get our rewards from him. But we also stand and give an account for our motivation. And if we were spirit directed and all these things. And, and some of us, he says, will escape barely, you know, as by fire. But we'll still, of course, survive. It's not a matter of salvation. But it's talking about the sobriety that God wants to produce in our hearts. About standing before him. And we, by faith, are trusting him that on that day, all the things that I've done in faith and in honoring him. He's going to remember and, and, and those things are going to bless him and he's going to reward me for them. So every little thing that we do, I remember uh, just a couple weeks ago, handing out flyers door to door about VBS. And I remember telling one of the little boys, it was his first time ever doing this. And I remember telling him, do you realize when you put this little flyer here and if someone comes and they receive Christ by going to vacation Bible school, that you're going to get rewards someday in heaven? He's like, Really? I'm going to get rewards for doing Yeah. He sees everything. It meant so much to him that God saw that. And he sees every little thing that we do. It matters to him. Don't we notice as parents when our kids do something nice for each other? And it blesses us, doesn't it? And we don't miss it. I mean, the littlest thing. They have no idea that we're seeing it and it's blessing us. But we notice every little thing. Every little thing that we do uh, for his people. To bless his bride, to bless his sheep, to bless his children. I mean, he has all these different ways to describe us. He sees every bit of it. But all of it has to be done in faith. In faith that he sees it, that it matters to him, that it constitutes worship. And, and all of that needs to be done or else we're not doing it in faith and we lose our reward. We don't bless his heart. There's so much at stake. We have to do things by faith in him. Verse 5. By faith Enoch was taken away. So that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We want to please God with everything that's coming forth from our lives and these these Jewish believers wanted to please God they did but they were wavering they were shaken 
because of persecution. And so this, this writer is saying to them, look, you want to please God. You don't please God by going back and rejecting his son and rejecting the new covenant, the better covenant that we saw uh, that he articulated earlier in the book. You don't, you don't please God by that. And he talks about Enoch, and not a lot is known of Enoch. He's only listed, I think, in four, four, times in, um, four or five times in Genesis 5. And we're told that he walked with God and that one day, poof, he was gone. First rapture in the Bible, I think. Enoch was gone. And so the writer is saying, look, it's worth it to please God the right way, but you have to do it through faith. And Enoch walked with God by faith. And he pleased God, and God um, showed to the world that he was pleased with Enoch by taking him in, uh, right up to heaven right, you know, at that moment. And so he's saying you're trying to, to please and know God through works, you're going, leaving faith, going back to works. You can't please God with works because by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified in his sight. So they're being tempted to go back. And so he wants to be honored, but you honor him another way. And, and I love the fact when he says you have to come to him as, and believe that he is and believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Some of us need to hear afresh that God wants to bless you. He wants to bless you. He wants to, you know, like when our kids do something, we're just waiting to bless them. But we, don't, we know that blessing them appropriately is important. We can't give them something that they shouldn't have, they didn't work for or whatever, and, and they didn't earn, and so we want to do it appropriately. But we're blessed when we're able to just lavish upon them blessing, and that's how God is, because his love obviously is infinitely greater than ours. But we need to bless uh, the Lord with our lives so that he can bless us as we honor him with our faith. Notice he says diligently seek him. Uh-oh. <laughs> I just want to weekly please him or monthly please him. Every once in a while please him. No, we need to diligently seek him and that pleases him when we go after him like that. Isn't it interesting that we can get mad at God sometimes because he won't bless us because we're living a life by sight or we're not obeying him or whatever and we're saying we're demanding that he bless us a certain way when we're not functioning within how he set things up he doesn't bless lives that don't seek him i mean he blesses us because he's love he's and he does bless us in that way he still gives us things that we don't deserve even when we're not seeking him i know that but he has set it up to where if we diligently go after him that he just pours out like like nothing we could ever imagine He's called us to go after him. I always pray for the kids that they would follow hard after God. And that, that's that diligent, you know, going after something. Think of like a, an Olympic athlete. Those people train. They train how I eat, you know, very zealous. Uh, they just go after it. I mean, their whole life is given over to going after the prize. And Paul loved athletics. He re references it. Uh, all through his writings, but they train hard, they discipline themselves, they work hard. Or think of someone in medical school where they just sacrifice sleep and, and they pour everything into something. What a, a noble, what is greater than the noble pursuit of God to go after him and follow him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. There's no way that we can express our lives in a greater way than following hard after him 
And God will not stop working in our lives until we thoroughly are established in faith land. You ever been in faith land? Well, you're way out there. You're way out there. There's no, nothing visible that you can see of the safety net or anything. You're way out there in faith land. We want to grow as believers, but we don't necessarily want to grow the way that he wants us to grow or uses the methods that he uses to get us out in faith land where we have nothing else. And in reality, we really always have nothing else but him. But with our eyes, with our physical understanding, we think we do have other options. And, and we're not, we don't realize that he really is all that we have. So he moves things and allows things to happen to where now we really sense that we, all we have is him. And what happens at that time? We grow exponentially. I don't know any believer that's significantly growed, grown in their walk that has not gone through some really difficult times. And, and where God is just chipping away and chiseling away by allowing certain things to, to enter into their lives. And now they're seeing how much they really are dependent upon God. And that's where faith really matters. Where, they, where, really, where the rubber meets the road or they really have to depend for, on him for a bag of groceries. Or they don't know how they're going to get to work or, or whatever it might be. They have, they have this sickness that, that has come and they're dependent upon the Lord and they don't have you know, healthcare or whatever it is, and they're, you know, they're just desperate. God doesn't enjoy having us be in pain. He doesn't delight in that, just like we don't delight in our children going through difficult times. But when our children are trained up and discipline is brought forth, we love the result. And we know that there's the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those that have been trained by that discipline. But how can we know by experience that God is all that we need unless we see that he's all that we have. And so he allows those things to happen. And because of that, exponential growth comes forth. Now, these Jewish believers were dealing with this. They were going through this difficulty of persecution. So they had to trust and see that God was faithful and would be there for them no matter what they went through. He continues in verse 7. He says, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things, notice, not yet seen, Okay, so he, he's, in, he's being informed through the spirit realm, so to speak, through God speaking to him, that something was going to happen that wasn't being seen yet, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world. Now, how did he, be, how did he do that? What, did he have a pulpit? Was he out there condemning the world and yelling at them and, and, and basically saying to them that judgment was going to happen? I think this is how that happened was him just being obedient to what God said. Remember, it had never rained before this time. They'd never felt a raindrop. It had never rained up to this point. And he was faithful in building that ark. And that ark was a testimony of God's faithfulness and how God was going to deliver he and his family. And through that, it was like judgment on this world that they weren't going to be in that ark. They, and and they, you know, God was judging the world and so forth. And so he says he became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Again, the importance of trusting God. Can you imagine the insults that he had to deal with? You know, okay, building an ark. We don't, yeah, what's rain, Noah? You know, uh, okay, you want to do this for all these decades and decades and decades. Go ahead, but we're, we're fine here. But all of that was a, an expression of, of, of really judgment against their condition. Now he gets to the father of the Jewish people in verse 8. He says, by faith Abraham 
obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. What a great expression of faith, of, of, a, of an adventure in faith. Don't know where you're going. People will ask you, well, why are you going on this trip? I don't know. God told me to go. I'm going to do it. Where are you going to go? I'm not entirely sure, <laughs> but I know he knows. It seems reckless to them. It seems foolish to them. This isn't foolish to God. Do you think he could have gave Abraham all the specifics about where he would be the whole entire time he was there? No. I mean, God, yeah, he could have done that, but he didn't do it. And he knew that that was sufficient. Abraham was a Babylonian idol worshiper in Ur of the Chaldees, and God called him out of that to, to go to Canaan. But Abraham wasn't perfect in his obedience to the Lord. He deceived twice, making it look like Sarah was his sister, not his wife. He wavered. That's encouraging to us because we don't have to be perfect in our faith. I love the fact that because of this, we look to him as the father of the Jewish people, but also the father of all those who believe. And he expounds later in another book on that, that he's the father of those that are led by faith because he believed God and he was credited to him as righteousness. So we don't have to be perfect in, to be in God's hall of faith or for have God to, to act. I want us to hold our place here. Turn over to Mark 9. I want to illustrate this from the uh, public ministry of the Lord Jesus. What's interesting about this account, this is the account of the man that had the demon-possessed boy. There's all kinds of verbiage that have to do with faith, with the impossible, with things not seen, the things that are seen. It's, it's amazing how it, how it coincides with, with our passage in Hebrews 11. Let's begin reading at verse 14, Mark 9, 14. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. So scribes are disputing with the disciples here. Immediately when they saw him, that is Jesus, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, that is Jesus, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, he didn't ask the disciples, he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. So real quick, this one in the crowd interrupts things. Jesus asked a question to uh, the scribes. This man in the crowd interrupts and says, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. Verse 18, And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long should I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So we asked his father, interesting, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Notice what Jesus said in verse 23. If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. We're talking about faith here. 
So it's interesting that this man has been brought against his will into faith land. <laughs> He's been brought against his will. He wouldn't have chosen this. God allowed something. And Jesus is, is helping him know how to function in the kingdom of God, giving him little snippets of it ahead of time. And isn't this scene, I mean, two, two worlds colliding, to kingdom of God, kingdom of, of this world, colliding into one uh, collision. <laughs> it's kind of redundant. But when what's the issue here? What did Jesus say? Faithless generation. And look at the desperation, the father's desperation in verse 24. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, notice, with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Now, it's easy just to read this as words on a page. This is a father with a real son. This is Father's Day. A father with a real son. He has deep, deep concerns for his child. He's without any hope apart from Jesus. He really has been brought beyond the vanishing point of understanding. God has purposely allowed this to happen. He's expressing his emotion, notice with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Well, how can you have both? How can you have, how can you believe and unbelieve at the same time? It says, when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly and came out of him. And he became as one dead so that many said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, this kind can come out by, out by nothing but prayer and fasting. So Jesus is even helping them with understanding the kingdom of God and belief and having faith. And because when you're, pray, when you're in prayer and when you're fasting, you're more dependent upon God. You're more of a, you're more of a vehicle or, or a, a person that is yielded over to him that he can do the miraculous. And God knows that. But what I love about this passage is that he did not rebuke the man for not having perfect faith. He didn't say, oh, unbelief, a little unbelief on the scene, sorry. He doesn't do that. He has compassion. He knows that this man has imperfect faith. The man is honest with Jesus about his imperfect faith, which is a good lesson for us. And to be that way among other people in the body too. Be transparent. I don't have perfect faith for this right now. I have some faith. I believe a little bit, but I don't have the faith that I should have. We, can't be, we shouldn't be afraid of that. It's not a negative confession. Uh-oh. He admitted that he isn't that perfect faith. Jesus wants our faith in him to grow. He forces it to happen by bringing us into faith land at times. Where we have nothing else in our own vision but him. And he produces great fruit through that. And he has compassion on us with whatever little faith we have. Paul said in Romans chapter 12 that God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. He knows the faith that he's measured out to us. He's like measuring out. You can have this, you can have this. He's given each of us a measure of faith. We don't all have equal faith. He knows that. He tells us related to spiritual gifts that we need to operate in the spiritual gifts in proportion to our faith. He knows that. And that affects all parts of our walk. But what's great is that he's patient. And he knows that we don't have perfect faith. And that's okay. And he still has people like Abraham and all these other people we'll look at in the hall of faith, even though they didn't have perfect faith, because he, he's gracious and he's loving, and he's compassionate, and he knows that we're weak and frail, and he knows that if he works on our behalf, despite that, 
he gets glory because we're always going to point to him. Let's turn back to Hebrews 11. He says, By faith he, that is Abraham, dwelt in the land of promise as as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Sometimes we forget that Abraham and those, those guys back in that, that time, his sons and so forth, they didn't have a permanent residence. They, they, they were foreigners, wandering. Even though God had given them that land and they went there, they still were not considering that their home home, their permanent residence. And we're citizens of, of heaven. Our citizenship is, is in heaven. And our roots are not supposed to be tapped into this world. Our roots are supposed to be tapped into eternity. And the kingdom of God. That's why he's telling these believers to focus on having faith in him and how everything operates within the kingdom of God by faith, not by sight. We can't live the life of living in the kingdom of God by sight and think we're going to have some success. We're not. It has to be by faith. And God will kick our bricks down as we try to build a permanent residence here on earth. He will kick those bricks down to keep us in our tents, dependent upon him. And, and, and having faith in him and not being too comfortable here. This isn't our home. This is not, we're just passing through. We won't care about eternity and people going to hell if we're so concerned about our, our, our lives that we're kind of building here, our physical you know, dwelling, so to speak, in the spirit realm. He won't allow it. He will shake it. He will cause an earthquake to happen and he will rock our spiritual world to where we don't have a permanent residence here. Today is, a, is Father's Day, as I've mentioned. And what I hear from, in counseling appointments and through the 10 years I've been a pastor, from children that are grown, what they, they look back and they, they, want from, they wanted from their father that they didn't get, that they would say out of their own uh, mouth affected their lives in a detrimental way is that their dads did not have time for them. And some of them have gone after noble things. Some of them, most of them, um, some of the things that these, these dads, they say, have gone after were not noble, great, you know, necessity type things. They were hobbies. They were things that they were interested in. They were the, the TV. They were computer, whatever it is, that their dads did not have the time for them. Well, what were they interested in? They were interested in temporal things. They were interested in the visible, not the, the invisible they're interested in the temporal, not the eternal. And they didn't have time for the kingdom of God, putting God first in their lives so that they can lead their family and lead their children in the way that they should go. And their, and their kids paid a heavy price. We've been called to live the life of faith. And that life is putting God first, taking up our cross daily and following him and putting those things that he cares about the most first, the things that we can't see, the things that run on faith. And sometimes God disciplines us. He shakes our lives up to get our attention to say, your priorities are in the wrong place. Think about what you're doing here. Think about what you're putting first. You're not an unbeliever anymore. Quit living like it. Live like a believer and put me first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to us. He knows our needs before we ask. And so he's saying to us today, honor me with your faith. I'm worthy of it. Don't hold anything back. Put me first. Watch what I do. And don't be surprised if you ignore that, what I allow in your life to get your attention because I want you to have an eternal perspective. Let's heed that this morning. Amen? Let's pray together.
Lord, you are worthy of our faith. Thank you for doing in us what only you could do. I pray for all of us in this room, Lord, we would follow hard after you. That we would see ourselves primarily functioning within the realm of the kingdom of God. That we would have an eternal perspective. We wouldn't be building residences here. Thank you, Lord, that you do break down our bricks when we try to do that. You frustrate everything that we do that's out of your will, and you discipline us, Lord. We're grateful for that discipline. We thank you, Lord, that you discipline those that you love. So we'll take all the spankings you, you want to give us, and we know we need it, Lord, and it's just because you love us. So I pray, Lord, that we would develop into mature men and women of God, and we, we would exhort one, or, one another daily, especially as we see the day approaching, Lord to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. We pray, Lord, that we would all be able to be exhorted and encouraged and pointed back to you. Help us keep the important things before us and not get sidetracked and and, um, discouraged. So thank you, Lord. Bring encouragement to your people and hope. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.